0: <laughs> welcome to the only horror movie podcast with nick and joe i'm nick and i'm joe i'm a horror newbie don't know shit about horror and and joe is a um, a horror fanatic and every week joe tells me to watch a movie and uh and then and then i do that and we come back and we talk about it uh yeah i feel kind of weird just saying the whole thing right up top usually we kind of like uh, ease into it but that was yeah, okay. I
1: think that's all right. Yeah, that's all right. Um, how are how are you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm pretty good, man. You know. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got uh, yeah. Had a busy week. Got a ring appointment later for the wedding. Doing a, a ring appointment. Uh, yeah, to get the actual wedding rings.
0: I didn't know there was an appointment for that.
1: I didn't know either, but apparently there is. You you know you got to go and uh pick out the rings and stuff and get them made.
0: Wait, get them made. Well, so wait, I thought you go. I thought the whole thing was
1: like so you guys go together you and nikki yeah so like the engagement ring is like the one that you you go out and buy yeah that's right. like the big one the wedding oh. rings are just like the bands that go with it they oh on the day okay i didn't know that yeah yeah i Do didn't you know work- that either i'm learning Did a you- lot of stuff about weddings
0: yeah what the what the huh <laughs> uh I thought, so wait, so when you get married, how did I know this? When you get married, do you, do, does Nikki con- like wear the engagement ring forever for yeah. the marriage?
1: Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, the engagement I, ring, I think is like the main, you know, ring. And then the right. main ring is like, it like almost like fits into it. I think like they kind of like are worn together. Oh. At least that's what I'm understanding. At least that's what we're doing. I don't know if that's always the case.
0: Uh, well, cool. I mean, that's
1: exciting, you know? Yeah, it's cool. And we're, uh, should be, uh, we're recording the rest of the demo tomorrow. so Oh, for your band. About that. Yeah. That rules, dude. Yeah. Um, what about you, man? How was the show last night? It was, it was good. It was weird. I did my, uh, for
0: anyone who doesn't know, I have a one man show that I'm, I was, have been writing for a couple months and, um, yeah, I put it up at my, um, the house that I'm staying at in the Bronx, uh, for some friends and roommates. And it was it was good. It was weird. You know, I, I read it off the page and, um, you know, it is uh, it's it's, it's going to be a lot of work. But the good thing is, is I started watching the video back last night and it's it's coherent and it flows and it's a good story. Um, nice. But I think just the stand up in me really wants it to be a lot funnier, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But that- I have to like. I, I it was the first time I've ever said any of that stuff on into a microphone you know mm-hmm. so I have to just like be patient and you know I, I already know it's going to take me a couple years to get this to a point where I really want it to be you know
1: yeah so it's well, understandable you know It's a big project like you know people spend years working on these things yeah yeah you might have to like you know resist that temptation to make every part of it funny you know I know like <laughs> Yeah, I can understand that tendency where you just want to punch everything up. So, where you you know, you got punch lines hitting every. Yeah, back, back ends, but well,
0: it's I want it to be as funny as it can be. Um, But I, you know, I don't want it to be like a, it's not a wacky, you know, comedy. It's not stand up. Um I want it to be kind of as close to stand up as it can be. But there's
1: parts that are just like they're just too dark.
0: You know, yeah. it's it's just. You know,
1: (laughs) yeah, you got to just let those parts be like dark or sad or whatever it is. And like, you know, let people feel those emotions. And then yes, the next part, lighten it up with some jokes. Right. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, there were some some
0: jokes that hit. There were some that fell flat. And so it's like, okay, so now how do I how do I rewrite this in a way where this joke can work or I can write a different joke because it's like, yeah, something is really heavy, but then I think it's okay to like lighten it up with a a joke right afterwards. But mm-hmm. um, anyways, I don't know. I mean, I, I got, you know, everybody gave me a lot of positive feedback. You know, I think that the, the good thing was that people said that they were engaged, which uh, is, is really good. They were like, it was, it was a, like, I, my roommate was like, I was on the edge of my seat for the whole thing and I was like, Oh, that's really good.
1: Yeah. If someone says I was on the edge of my seat, that's a really good reaction. That's about the best, you know? Yeah.
0: That's the starting point. That's like a good place to, to begin. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel good. I feel good about it. I just, uh, but I am intimidated by how much work it's going to be. And then I'm going to be putting it on stage on the 18th and 25th in front of like probably a, a, a you know, decent number of other comedians and stuff. And, and I'm going to try to be off book, which, uh, You know, I did an hour 20 last night and I was like, uh, first of all, I need to at least shave off 20 minutes. Uh, Also memorize it. It just seems insane. The idea, you know, but I've done 30 minutes of memorized material. It's just going to it just seems not possible.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. It's not as hard as like, you know, it's not any harder than memorizing a shorter thing. It's just like you have to just spend more time doing it you know like when I was yeah. doing that, uh I was working as a tour guide in Hollywood you know it was like 12 to 15 pages of fine print for that tour that I had like pretty much memorized that's crazy I don't know there's a lot of walking in between to the different spots but you know it could be like the tour could be like an hour to an hour and a half depending on if they did the extended version or not right right so I think you'll get it you know
0: yeah no I, I I'm I know I will get it at some point but it's just like Anytime I know that there's a lot of work ahead of me, there's always a part of me that's like, God, fucking damn it! Oh (laughs) yeah, well,
1: definitely, you know. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's how I feel about everything I work on. You know, I'm like, uh, yeah. What if this is like successful? Then I have to really do it. You know.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was the thing is setting the deadlines. It's like great. I know that I'm going to get this done, but also like, fuck, I have to get this done. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that pressure can be helpful though i'm glad i mean i them. I need it yeah i'm glad that you're doing it though you know i know this is a big thing
0: thanks so. man yeah i'm
1: excited about it i'm excited um, to see it eventually whenever you uh whenever you get back here and do it
0: yeah no i'm gonna do it uh on the fourth so it'll it'll be it'll be in a different place by then i think every show is gonna there's gonna be a lot of changes but um but yeah man how's everything what you doing stand up out there you getting any chances to to, to get up
1: uh, a little bit. I wanted to do more this week. I only ended up doing one set, but I tried yeah. some new material that worked. So Hell I'm yeah. happy with it. Got That's do great. I more next week because I'm doing group shower.
0: Hell yeah. That's a great. I love that show. It's so good.
1: Yeah, it should be fun. That rules. Oh, and by the way, guys. If oh, yes. You're listening, we would appreciate it if you would uh, subscribe to the podcast yeah uh if you can you know write a review give us five rate us five stars all that stuff helps us out a whole lot
0: yeah it really does folks and um we do have a patreon up right now and we
1: don't have much to
0: offer you at this point but if you do go on our patreon and and, and uh throw us some some bucks we'll give you a shout out and then in, in, a, in a little while we're gonna start having extra content Uh, We just have to figure out how to uh, distribute the workload a little bit to some people who can help us out. And once we get that, then we're going to have more content up and there's going to be a lot more exciting things for all you listeners out there.
1: Yeah, we really want to do more. But right now, this like uh, eats up a lot of our time, especially Nick's doing the editing. But we're working on that.
0: Yeah, we are working Uh, on it, but we will be able to do it uh, someday. Someday.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Someday soon. Yeah, hopefully real soon. You can uh, also follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to email us and say, hey, uh, you can do that at the only horror movie pod at gmail.com. Yeah, please do that. Please just say hello. We see that we, we have people from
0: like, I don't know, like 17 different states in the country, maybe more, maybe over 20. We have a bunch of different countries, Australia, India, big, big Indian following and uh like spain yeah all this stuff it's awesome so just reach out and say hello just say anything uh anything at this point we'll take anything just say some words yeah just email us hi yeah email us hi or uh send a picture of you with a pointing a gun at the camera that might be fun just uh send us whatever you want even if you're out of your mind just fucking say hello (laughs) yeah just don't come to our house yeah don't come to our house oh boy oh, uh, appreciate i appreciate you guys yeah we really do appreciate you guys we we got we hit 100 and, or we hit 666 downloads on uh wrong turn which is insane and also sign of the devil what's up rock yeah, and roll number of the beast yeah man Super that's metal. sick hell yes so like, like Breaking Benjamin at the end of that movie. That's right. <laughs> the so hardest cool. core band ever to exist. So we're doing we're doing a, a classic movie. Yeah, we are. For part of our Halloween special for October, uh, we're starting with uh, John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978.
1: Yep. Which uh, the one that started it all. I um, I mean, it's great. It's just great. Yeah. It's right. It's 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 just like such a uh, an enjoyable movie
0: to watch. It feels like such a classic, and there's like, it feels like in a lot of ways like ahead of its time in terms of like cinematography and and just some of like the I don't know the spookiness of it. They just they just nailed it, you know. Yeah, it was kind of pioneered some things. I mean, there was still there's still a lot of things about it that were like clearly this is uh, from the seventies. Like some of the dialogue is a little silly. Uh, some of the acting is. I know I'm very critical about the acting stuff but some of the acting is very silly. Uh, And and there's just like a lot of things where you're watching and you're like, Oh, this is where like all the tropes, like all these tropes came from or all like the, you know, all the parodies, like all the stuff that they were making fun of. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's, um, I mean, it's just such a fucking good movie. It's just like, it's just, it's, 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 and I love that it's spook. I love that. It's still scary, you know, after what, like 50 years.
1: Yeah. I think it's like it, For me, it's like one of the most atmospheric horror movies. Like, it really sets the mood. It really feels like Halloween when you're watching it.
0: So tell me about it, dude.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, so John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. uh, It was directed and scored by John Carpenter. uh, Holy shit. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, uh, produced by Deborah Hill. It stars Donald Pleasance, Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls, Nancy Keys or Kyes. Uh, but she's credited normally in acting as Nancy Loomis, uh, and Nick castle as the shape, the shape.
0: So what, uh, I have a question. So why, why, why did they call him the shape where nobody refers to him as the shape in the movie, right?
1: That's what he was written as in the script. They never referred to him as Michael Myers or anything. He was always just the shape.
0: That's cool as hell.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's how I, I referred to him mostly, I think in the notes that I wrote for you.
0: Nice. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely did. Uh, I had no I so so you're saying you're telling me, Joe,
1: that John Carpenter wrote the famous Halloween music? Yeah, he scored every single one of his movies aside from The Thing.
0: That is fucking badass,
1: dude. Yeah. Well, his dad was a music professor, so he grew up knowing it, but then uh, I actually read yesterday that he he doesn't read music, but he, okay. he just he just, you know, knows enough to play by ear.
0: Yeah, he uh, sounds like a fucking brilliant dude.
1: Yeah, I actually saw him play his the scores from all his movies live with a band uh, that features him and uh, his son. Uh, no and way! Other musicians from notable bands. Oh, yeah, that they rules! At the Palladium in L.A. and they did like all the scores from all the movies and had like. A oh, that's so cool, thing. dude! It was one of the coolest things I've ever been to. That's amazing! Uh, I loved it. Plus, I that's loved fucking that's almost great. all of his movies.
0: I mean, I can't wait to watch more of his stuff because I mean. So I've watched The Thing uh, before, which we haven't done yet, but I've then what we did. We uh, an episode on that one, but yeah. it's such a good movie. Uh, Let's really face f- it out. Yeah, The Fog, right? Yep. And then this one. Um, yeah, I mean, damn,
1: dude, he fucking rules. He's, he's awesome. The music is still so scary. Yeah, it really, like, without that score, I don't think the movie would have been anywhere near as successful or good as it is. But that, like, it's just so, it sets that mood so well.
0: God, I love it. I love it so much. Well, hell, let's get into it then, Joe. You want to do it?
1: Uh, Oh, uh, I was just going to say a little bit about the legacy that it created before we get right into it. Let's Um, do it. Tell me that legacy. uh, So Halloween is one of the most profitable uh, and influential independent horror films of all time, uh, earning Approximately seventy million dollars on a budget of about three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Three
0: hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars? Yeah, that's fucking incredible.
1: It was originally only gonna be three hundred thousand. Carpenter convinced uh the executive producers, um, Mustafa Cod and Erwin Yo to kick in an extra twenty five thousand to get Donald Pleasance for oh. Dr. Loomis. So he was oh. the only like, you know, kind of star in the movie who had any kind of like history. Everyone else were pretty much unknown actors.
0: I didn't know he was a star. Uh, I've definitely seen him before, but he was great. But what's his uh, what's his thing? What what was his big stuff?
1: Donald Pleasance. He was the star of the film. Uh, His name was actually billed above John Carpenter's in the opening titles. Uh, He was an established actor at the time, uh, and he spent most of his career playing evil killers of one sort or another. Okay. Um, he played the head of the Nazi SS in the movie, the Eagle has landed and that's a role for which he was overqualified because his, uh, RAF plane had been shot down over France in world war II. And he was, uh, tortured in a German POW camp.
0: No shit.
1: Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah right. That's intense. Like, yeah.
0: That's tortured
1: by the Nazis and then play one in a movie, like
0: yeah, dude, what the fuck? That's awesome, and he's so like that. You don't get actors like that, you know. Like you never get actors. I mean, definitely ones that were fucking tortured by Nazis, but like actors that were like in POW camps or like went to war. Like it's very like rare, you know. Yeah, it's it's like with writers too. It used to be like so many like Hemingway and shit, and like all these writers that like went to to like battle and stuff and
1: yeah and who Orwell. who Vonnegut and shit Orwell, yeah George Orwell fought with the uh the POUM militia in the Spanish Civil War yeah it's insane uh, dude uh but oh yeah uh Donald Pleasance his his most famous role was as the scheming tramp in The Caretaker which was a Harold Pinter play that won critical acclaim in London and on Broadway and he he did most of the scenes in his movies with Charles Cyphers who played Sheriff Brackett Oh, right on. Uh, and his biggest achievement as an actor was playing the scheming tramp and the caretaker in L.A. So you oh. had the two like most famous tramp. Like, uh, you know, they played the tramp in this play, like uh, wow. acting side by side in Halloween, which I thought was pretty cool. This is a great movie, man. And so what a bunch of cool history. Do you want to get into the plot? Cool. Yeah, I love this movie. I've been looking forward to doing this one for a long time, and I'm glad you liked it, too, because, it you know, it's an all time favorite of mine. Well,
0: it's also like the, I love doing these episodes because I'm like, I haven't there's So it's they're classic movies, you know, that I, I haven't seen. So it's just cool to like watch like act like real classics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe I haven't seen it. Um, so I'm happy. So here we go. John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978, uh, folks. Uh, we open on a title sequence. Orange letters on a black background with Carpenter's music score on a glowing jack-o'-lantern. Uh, Mustafa Akkad presents Donald Pleasance uh, in Carpenter's in John Carpenter's Halloween. The score swells as we push in on the jack lantern as the credits roll. Titles inform us that uh, it's Halloween night in 1963 in Haddonfield, Illinois. As we hear a chorus of children reciting a creepy Halloween nursery rhyme about ghosts, goblins, and witches. Cut to a POV steady cam, shot of a two-story suburban house. As the camera approaches, we see the POV of someone watching a teenage couple making out through the door. There's a jack-o'-lantern on their porch. The camera circles around to the side window and watches the couple make out on the couch. The guy asks if they're alone, and the girl says, Michael is around someplace before they head upstairs. And by the way, I love how dumb the guy sounds. Like I feel like there's a there's like a classic like seventies like white dude dumb guy voice you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like uh he's like are you sure no one's home you know he's like just like a really dumb like almost like goofy the dog those
1: are maybe like the two worst actors in the <laughs> oh they're so bad and yeah. uh the boyfriend who oh, who knows what his name is and and then uh judith
0: <laughs> it's hilarious i mean it's like those it's like it, you, it makes sense why those the the, the Def Jam comics had like this white voice you know like after years of like movies with guys like this you're like yeah that makes sense the camera continues to look around circling back to the front of the house and then forward to the back door and eerie music starts to play as the person watching enters through the back door and the music starting by the way when the lights like go out Mm -hmm. it scared the shit out of me yeah right that like high-pitched like weird sound like that synth or whatever yeah uh So we see the person's arm open the drawer and pull out a large chef's knife. The eerie music continues as we build and see the POV of the person making their way through the house. Up the stairs, the boy pulls on his shirt, saying that he has to go. And the girl asks if he'll call him tomorrow (laughs) after what had to be three pumps max. And I, I, yeah, I I noted the same thing. I was like, this guy comes incredibly
1: fast. Yeah, right. Like, how do they they get undressed and then halfway dressed (laughs) again?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if three pumps is realistic because they went upstairs. By the time you see this woman later, she's fully naked and he's putting on the clothes again. I mean, it's like, dude, you got to you got to control yourself. Also, like if you came that fast, maybe stick around and go another time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Really? So. He heads down the stairs and exits through the front door as the unknown person watches. We hear the girl singing as the unknown person reaches down and grabs a clown mask, putting it on. Now we're seeing through the eye holes of this clown mask as the person enters the girl's room. She's topless in front of the mirror, brushing her hair and singing to herself. The person watching makes their way towards her. And as she turns and covers herself shouting, she says, Michael! Uh, The person begins to stab the girl as she cries in pain. And you got to love, Joe, you got to love how women react to stab wounds in old movies. You know, oh yeah, (laughs) they're just getting like ravaged by this sharp knife, but they're reacting to it like they're in a spider web. You know, yeah, she's like, "Uh, uh, oh, no, uh." just holding her arms up. You know, it's like what's happening here through the cloud mask. We see that she's left bloody on the floor as the person turns and heads out the door. The unknown person walks out the front door as a car pulls up and two adults get out. The man says, Michael, cut to a six year old boy in a clown costume standing in front of the house, holding a bloody knife. The camera moves up and away, showing the boy standing in front of the house with his parents looking on in shock and confusion. It's a great reveal. I didn't I actually I didn't see this coming at all. I didn't know it was going to be a kid. Um, oh, yeah. I will say this uh, a little nitpicky about the POVs clear height difference. Uh <laughs> It was clearly an adult sized person uh, from the Yeah. yeah, I mean, and like she was, she was even though, yeah, she was sitting, but she was looking up, you know, at the, at that Michael. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, you guys totally misdirected us, but that was a man, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
1: I I never thought about that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, But that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I'm, you know, I hate to, I hate to
1: nitpick, but I had to do it. Yeah. um there's a couple things about that scene before we oh please on. yeah go for it uh first thing i wanted to say is that uh mustafa cod who's the producer of this movie and a bunch of others are the executive producer you know he basically financed them right uh, but until he and his daughter were killed in a suicide bombing terrorist attack in jordan oh fuck really tragically but since with the uh, I, I don't know if it was starting with, but at, at least since the 2018 Halloween sequel, his son, Malik Akkad, has been executive producing the movies now. So they're still keeping it in the family. family that's good. See. Yeah. Jesus Christ. What a what a bunch
0: of uh, stuff that's happened to people involved with this movie. Holy shit.
1: Yeah. 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 Right. Like how many people get killed in a fucking terrorist attack? Yeah, yeah that's whew, goddamn. Um Oh yeah. Also, uh, so that scene, that whole POV camera, that was really uh pretty revolutionary at the time. Uh, they shot that using a Panaglide, which was a, uh, competitor of the steady cam, which was like new, a new invention at the time. Okay. So there hadn't been like a lot of that, like moving, uh, like smooth moving camera. Like people had never really seen that before in a movie.
0: Oh, that rules
1: yeah and you know like a lot of critics noted it you know kind of like making you see through the eyes of the killer and all this stuff and uh yeah there's only like two maybe two cuts in that whole scene you know like mm-hmm. one, right. where, like the camera's entering the house i think and then when they put the mask on there's a cut there
0: yeah that a rules. lot of people
1: thought that scene was shot continuously with zero cuts not quite but pretty close yeah also the the girl who played the sister Uh, She was a Playboy centerfold. Oh, that's why he came so fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Lucky
0: actor, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that guy, he was just some fucking like no name co-star. And he's like, I get to make out with a Playboy model. that's a good day.
1: Yeah, pretty cool for him.
0: So we cut to a title card that reads Smith uh, Smith's Grove, Illinois, October 30th, 1978. Cut to thunder and pouring rain on a dark night. A car drives past. A nurse is driving with a bald, middle-aged man in a passenger seat. This is Dr. Loomis. Uh, They discuss the patient they're transporting, and the nurse says the only thing that ever bothers her is their gibberish. He says you haven't anything to worry about and that he hasn't spoken a word in 15 years. Uh, He tells her not to underestimate him, and she lights a cigarette. We see a red pack of matches that says Red Rabbit Lounge. Loomis tells her to give him Thorazine when he goes out in front of the judge. She says he'll be catatonic, and he says that's the idea. As they pull up, the score begins to play as several patients in white medical gowns are wandering aimlessly around in the rain. Loomis tells her to pull up to the main gate. They stop, and Loomis tells the nurse to wait as he gets out of the car to check on things. Patient in a gown jumps onto the back of the car. As the nurse looks around and opens the window, a hand reaches into the car and grabs her face Uh, the car begins to swerve she ducks back into the passenger side door as the hand reaches down and smashes the glass behind her head causing her to run from the car as she does the patient climbs into the car and drives away Loomis finally runs up but he really took his sweet ass time trying to help this girl yeah Uh, Loomis says he's gone he's gone from here the evil is gone as the car speeds away down the road Uh, cut to a suburban street during the day this is Haddonfield and it's Halloween Eerie music starts to play as we see a teenage girl step out of her house carrying books on her way to school. This is Laurie Strode. A man in a blazer walks out and tells her to drop off the key at the Myers place. We cut to Laurie walking through her neighborhood. A young kid about eight years old calls out to her and runs up to join her and ask her if she's coming over tonight. This is Tommy Doyle. I will say this, Joe. Jamie Lee Curtis is 19 in this movie. Yeah. Right. But she role. does. She does not. It's her first role. Holy well, shit. Yeah. First movie role. I think she's on TV a bit. She does not look 19. I will say this. Like it's, it's a, I do feel like s- there's something going on. Maybe it's something in the water gel, but like th- she looks like she's about 26.
1: Am I crazy? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. She might've been a more mature looking 19 year old too. She's just kind of got that look. Yeah. She does kind of do with like her.
0: She got some like slightly more masculine features, I guess. Yeah. I a little know. bit, you know, but I love her. So she's like one of my big childhood crushes. I love her so much. Tommy asks if they can carve jack lanterns and watch uh, monster movies. She says, sure. He asks if she'll uh, read to him and make popcorn. And she says, sure. Tommy asks why she's walking to school this way. And she says, her dad asked her to drop off a key because he's selling the Myers house. Tommy says, the Myers house? Uh, they stop in front of an old, dilapidated two story house. Tommy says, you're not supposed to go up there. And she approaches and drops off the key. I've been
1: to that house, by the way. It's re- wait, what?
0: Where? Yeah, what? Why? It's in Pasadena. No shit.
1: Yeah, next door to it, there's a uh, museum called the Sugar Mint Gallery, and they had a whole Halloween exhibit in the backyard. They actually, they screened Halloween H2O. So I wow. watched Halloween H2O in the backyard next to the Myers house.
0: Whoa, that's rad.
1: Yeah, so is like it still on it and stuff?
0: Oh, yeah. So it's still like set up and dilapidated and shady looking?
1: No, it's it's like restored now. It looks nice oh. again, but yeah, it's still right there. It's, it's still like, you know, they haven't changed much on the house besides like painting it and cleaning it up. Does anyone live
0: in there or is it just like a museum? I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, I live there. Uh, We see a POV from inside the house. Uh, as Tommy says nah uh that's a spook house as Lori drops off the key under the mat we can hear breathing and as Lori walks away a figure steps in front of the window watching them Tommy says a kid named Lonnie Elam told him the house is haunted and that awful stuff happened there once Lori tells him that Lonnie Elam uh, probably won't get out of sixth grade Lori continues to walk to school singing to herself as we see a figure in a black mechanic suit steps into frame only revealing a shoulder and watching her as she goes down the street it's a great long shot here cut to doctor Loomis and another man walking out of an office. The man says he's not responsible for the escape. Loomis replies, two roadblocks and an all points bulletin wouldn't stop a five year old. Uh, The man says that he could have told someone if precautions were strong enough. And Loomis yells, I told everybody nobody listened. The man says there's nothing else he can do. And Loomis says he can call them and warn them about who escaped and where he's heading. Uh, The man dismisses him, saying probably heading. The man says Haddonfield is 150 miles away and he can't drive a car. Uh, Loomis replies, he was doing very well last night. Maybe someone around here gave him lessons before he gets into his car and drives away. Yeah, kind of making a fucking like uh, a facetious joke there. Cut to a high school English class being lectured. When Lori is in the back of the class, the teacher can be heard lecturing about fate as Lori looks out the window. Across the street, she sees a car that was stolen from the nurse and behind it, a man in a white mask who seems to be staring at her through the window. Uh, the teacher is still talking about destiny and asks, How does Samuel's view of fate differ from that of Costain's, Lori? Distracted, Lori turns to the teacher and replies, Samuel's felt that, well, fate was like a natural element like earth air fire and water the teacher says that's right samuel's definitely personified fate and samuel's writing fate is immovable like a mountain it stands where man passes away fate never changes what do you think of this
1: joe it seems like uh you know they're discussing whatever this book they read but it seems like they might talk be talking a little bit more about the fate of the characters in this movie hell yeah dude uh also a pretty advanced english class Pretty advanced English class, and also,
0: Lori's a great student. Uh, As the teacher goes on, Lori looks back out the window, but, but the car and the man are gone. Cut to a bell ringing in an elementary school as kids in costumes run outside. We see Tommy Doyle carrying a huge pumpkin. He's being surrounded by three older boys and trying to walk away, but they're clearly bullying him and chanting, He's gonna get you! He's gonna get you! The boogeyman is coming! Tommy yells at them to leave him alone, and one of the bullies says don't you know what happens on Halloween Tommy says they get candy and then they laugh and continue taunting him with the boogeyman the boogeyman the boogeyman they trip him and he falls over on top of his pumpkin smashing it the boys run off laughing and I believe that pumpkin would have withstood the impact of that fall that's my one gripe of this scene you think so I don't know maybe it really just kind of smushed like a pancake yeah kids full weight on top of it yeah kids weigh like 60 pounds (laughs) (laughs) who cares as one of them turns to leave the school he runs straight into a man in a black mechanic suit we only see him from the shoulders down and he breathes heavily before the boy turns and runs away the music is so good here man so scary uh the score swells as a man in the mechanic suit turns and watches tommy as he leaves school before getting into the nurse's car following him for a bit before he drives away
1: these scenes like setting up like just him just stalking them throughout the town through the whole day really like just make it creepier and creepier yeah, there's a
0: lot of buildup. And also the idea that he's like, um, there's like very little discretion with this guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's just yeah. like, I'm going to stand in plain sight with a mask on and uh, I don't give a fuck. It is Halloween, to be fair. It is Halloween, but he is an adult Everybody's man around in costumes. That's true. <laughs> So let's see here. Uh, Cut to a country road outside Haddonfield. Dr. Loomis is on a payphone explaining to the police that he's on his way. They clearly don't believe him. And he says, it's your funeral. He turns and sees a truck that's off to the side of the road near some bushes. Uh, the truck's door is open and there's a medical gown from the hospital strewn in the bushes. On the ground is a red pack of matches that says Red Rabbit Lounge like we saw before Joe. He turns to leave and the camera pans to the bushes where we see a man's bloody naked body. Cuts of Lori and her friend Linda leaving school. Linda is talking about all the stuff she has to do. She's blonde airhead cheerleader and her favorite word is totally. As they turn a corner Annie catches up to them. They talk about the dumb stuff Annie's dumb boyfriend Paul did as Lori realizes she forgot her English book. Linda says she he always forgets all of her books while Linda's rambling on the nurse's stolen station wagon drives by and Linda thinks it's a boy named Devin Graham Annie yells hey jerk speed kills as the car slams on the brakes and stops lingering for a while uh, before eventually driving on they continue walking home as they discuss their plans to get together later while babysitting uh, Linda splits off as the other two go walking Lori spots the shape he's in the mechanic suit wearing a creepy white mask and standing next to a bush staring at her by the time Annie looks up, he's gone. When she gets to the bush, she doesn't see anybody, right? Um, but she says, hey, Laurie, the, the, he wants to talk to you. When Lori walks up, there's nobody there. Also, Annie stinks at acting. Her dialogue
1: sucks. <laughs> yeah, you think so? Did you think she got any better by the fog? Well, who was she? In the, was she the-, the... She was the annoying assistant, like that older lady played by Janet Lee. Oh, wait, which assistant for whom? Older woman who's played by Janet Lee oh. Psycho
0: that's right yeah just kept saying how annoying she is yeah that's right oh that makes perfect sense uh i think that um i don't know i didn't pay much attention when she didn't have any many like uh lines of dialogue in that scene but um or uh, in that movie but um her her acting is very much like uh patata ta ta
1: ta laurie <laughs> you know it's just very much like come on like a bad actor trying to play a teenage girl as opposed to just yeah. acting naturally like one
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Lori continues walking, looking behind her. As she does, she walks directly into Annie's dad. (laughs) It's kind of a jump scare, right? It's Sheriff Brackett. He he says, uh, you know, it's Halloween. I guess everybody is entitled to one good scare. She says, like, uh, she's like, yes, sir. Uh, Sorry, sir. And she just walks away, right? Lori keeps walking, seeing kids out trick-or-treating. She gets home and heads up the stairs. But when she looks out the window, the masked man, the shape, is standing next to some laundry hanging out to dry. She watches through the window. She looks away for a moment and then back and he's gone. The phone rings and scares her. Huh. She hears weird noises when she picks up the phone. It's just like weird, like mouthy. Um, and she it, she just hangs up. And then it rings again. And uh, she picks up and it's Annie. And she's like, uh, you know, why, why? what was all the stuff with the mouth thing? And she was like, oh, I'm just eating some food. And then they talk for a moment and she says she'll pick her up later. Lori lies down and tries to convince herself that she's overreacting to see this um She's overreacting, seeing this weird guy. Later, Lori is walking uh, to meet Annie, carrying a pumpkin for her and Tommy to carve when Annie picks her up, uh, handing her a joint. Cut to Dr. Loomis and a groundskeeper pulling up to a cemetery. They're there to see the grave of Judith Myers. As they walk, the groundkeeper tells the story of old Charlie Bowles. One night, he says, he finished dinner and he excused himself from the table and he went outside to the garage and got himself a hacksaw. And then he went back into the house and kissed his wife and two children goodbye and then proceeded to, and Dr. Loomis cuts him off. He's like, hey, hey, what what are you you doing? And and it turns out that uh, Judith's headstone has gone missing. Loomis says uh, he came home. Cut to Lori and Annie driving to their babysitting gig. They smoke a joint as Blue Oyster Colts Don't Fear the Reaper plays on the radio, which do they even have any other songs? I mean, I know they do, but like this is the only song that ever
1: anyone ever hears from this band. Uh, they have a couple. Have Godzilla. Isn't that Blue Oyster Colt? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just
0: anytime I hear this one by far, though, for sure. Uh, more cowbell. So the nurse's car begins following them. Right. But then Annie turns. But then Annie sees her dad and they toss the joint out and uh, pull over to say hello. Uh, I love the way that Annie says my dad in this scene. Uh, it's really entertaining. And also they're like so far away when she sees her. I'm like, how do you even see your dad? Yeah, you know, like they're like, you're like three blocks away. It's like it's a weird time to panic. I mean, I guess she was high, but also like, you know, you, you got some time here. Um, yeah, she was high on the set. It was still very illegal then yeah that's true
1: dad's a sheriff
0: yeah that's that's true
1: you are gonna get arrested Uh, by your own dad that'd be a
0: bummer yeah that'd be sick uh annie's dad tells uh tells the girls that some kids broke into the hardware store but all they stole is a halloween mask some rope and a couple of knives uh and the girls are like okay and they head on right they leave and i they're they're so joe don't uh, let me let me know what you think of this uh, do you think they're they're kind of trying to uh, set up that Annie's dad is the killer? I didn't get that. Did you? Well, here's why I say this. Because there's like a moment, there, like when, when she runs into him in the beginning, right? When Laurie runs into the sheriff, he watches her go away. And then there's that same shot from behind his back over his shoulder watching her walk away. And then same thing with this scene. When they drive away, it goes over his shoulder as uh they drive away so i'm like i don't know if they were trying to do some kind of like weird it wouldn't make sense because we all know that this is like a michael my this is we know who the kid is sort of but yeah i don't know i was like why are they they're doing the same shot
1: yeah i never um i never put that together but that's right. uh
0: yeah i don't know it's a theory okay dr loomis arrives on the scene to meet the sheriff he says he needs 10 minutes and uh dr loomis Uh, Waits outside, failing to notice that the cars that the nurse's car is driving past. Uh, The girls drive on talking about asking different boys to the dance. And Lori says she'd rather go out with Ben Tramer. All the while, the nurse's car is following them. Tramer, Joe. Yeah, you know, Ben Tramer, don't you? I vaguely know Ben Tramer. I've met him a, a handful of times and it's just so strange to me. I mean, it's really cool, but also like crazy. Like, I wish that I knew all this stuff when I met. Ben Tramer because the only thing that because I was like he's he was a friend of my um ex's, or he was the father of my ex's friend and uh all that my ex told me about him is she was like oh yeah he used to be the head writer on Saved by the Bell and I'm like that's cool but mm-hmm. not really yeah <laughs> Th- uh. this stuff is really fucking cool that you're friends with John Carpenter that's insane yeah and he named you in like several of his movies it's so cool mm-hmm So the driver breathes heavily as he watches the girls park at their babysitting destination. Uh, The car parks and the shape gets out and watches Annie as she arrives and lindy and Lindsay's parents head out for the night. The sheriff and Dr. Loomis pull up to the Myers house to check it out. Uh, It's been empty since the murder of in 1963. They look out. uh, They look around the abandoned house and find a dead dog. Dr. Loomis says he got hungry. The sheriff says a man wouldn't do that, and Loomis explains this isn't a man before they head upstairs to the room where the murder happened. Suddenly a soffit falls and breaks the window, startling Dr. Loomis, who pulls out a gun. A doctor with a gun? Embarrassed, he explains to the sheriff, he's like, oh, I have a a permit for this. The sheriff says, seems to him that Dr. Loomis is just plain scared. Loomis says, I met him 15 years ago. I was told that there was nothing left, no reason, no conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, of right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale emotionless face and the blackest eyes the devil's eyes he says he spent years trying to reach him and then years trying to make sure that he stayed locked up what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil loomis decides to wait for him at the myers house and tells the sheriff to have his men stay on the lookout but not to tell anyone to avoid causing a panic Cuts to laurie reading tommy told people They probably should have told people that there was a murderer on the loose. Um, And it's also funny to me, like a uh, doctor giving orders uh, to a a police officer.
1: Yeah. And him just being like, okay, I'll do what you say. You got it. You have a gun. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Cut to Lori reading Tommy a story. He asks her what the boogeyman is, and before she can answer, the phone rings. It's Annie calling to give Lori some news before Lester, the family's German shepherd, starts growling and barking at something. The shape is outside watching them. Lester heads outside, and Annie tells Lori that uh, she told Ben Tramer that she wanted to go to the dance with him. Lori wanted to go to the dance. Uh, While Lori and Annie talk, Tommy looks out the window and sees the shape standing next to Lindsay's house. He goes to tell Lori, but when she looks out there, there's nothing there. We hear the heavy breathing from the shape as he watches Annie talk on the phone. She spills something on herself and has to pull off her clothes to wash them. Yeah, you're goddamn right she does. Uh, She hears a noise on the porch and she turns. She doesn't see anything, which uh, I like that. She doesn't go to check, you know, because there's a very loud crashing. sound. clearly like a pot exploding on the ground. Yeah. And she's just like, whatever. The shape is outside person. She is, you know. Yeah, she doesn't care. You know, she's Annie chill. Like a, she's a bit of a dumbass, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's a stoner, man. So the shape is standing outside looking in as Lester approaches and begins barking. Annie hears a whisper. We cut and see the shape holding Lester's lifeless body. I can
1: fucking can't kill a dog. Kill the dog. Gotta kill yeah. the fucking dog. God damn it. That's how you know it's a really evil character if they just murk the dog. Like... <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, but I got I mean I know that that like really proves that like this is like a a cold-blooded like a sociopathic fucking psychotic killer, but I'm just like don't kill the dog. Yeah, nobody likes it. Can't you just have some fucking shred of any kind of empathy? You piece of garbage. And I'm talking to you, John Carpenter. So, uh we cut to the opening of an old movie on TV. Tommy and Laurie are watching Howard Hawks The Thing. Tommy asks Lori about her uh, would remake four years later. That's so fucking cool. Uh, Tommy asks Lori about the boogeyman and Lori tells him that there's no such thing. He says, Richie told him that there that uh, Richie told him that he was coming after him tonight. And Lori explains that Halloween night is when people play tricks on each other. And it's all make believe. Tommy insists that he saw the boogeyman, but Lori doesn't believe him. Uh, she says that she won't let anything happen to him. Annie heads out to the laundry room in her backyard to wash her clothes. The shape is standing outside the door and closes it. Thinking it's Paul, she goes to check, but there's just, there's no one there. The door slams shut and Annie is locked in. She yells, uh, but... Lindsay is too busy watching The Thing to hear her. Uh, Annie tries to crawl out the window. Paul calls and Lindsay answers and she goes to find Annie who's stuck in the window. After freeing Annie, uh, they head inside and Paul calls again. The Shape watches her as they talk on the phone. Paul asks Annie to pick him up. Lindsay doesn't want to stop watching scary movies. So Annie offers to take her to Tommy's house so she can watch it there. Annie is uh, hot. I, I, I gotta say, I... I realized that in yeah. this moment I was like she's very attractive and then I was like and I, I like her a little more as an actress um, but then she started talking again and I was like oh actually she's really bad <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's rough
0: yeah no she's hot and that's cool uh
1: they as they wanted to have a very long career honestly yeah like, a handful of like john carpenter movies and then became like a uh sculptor or something oh that's great that's she a better still lives in la me. if you want to you know try to look her up when you're back yeah here. i'll hit her
0: up um i'm kind of into older ladies uh as they cross the street the shape appears from behind a parked car still watching them creepy as hell man when he pops out from the car he just so sort of mm. he's like and does that sound again oh got me got me good. Inside, the kids watch movies as Laurie carves a jack-o'-lantern. So she asked Annie to call Ben Tramer back and just say like that, you know, she was joking and, you know, Laurie isn't really into her. But Annie says uh, he's out drinking and she'll call him in the morning probably uh, if Laurie agrees to watch Lindsay. I, by the way, I love how much jerk is, is in the lexicon, you know, in this time period. I just love watching old movies where people are like, he's a jerk. And at one point she even goes, he he's a jerko. <laughs> oh, yeah. El Jerko. El Jerko, <laughs> um, I love it. So, uh, singing and whistling to herself, Annie gets in the car to pick up Paul. She notices the windshield has been fogged up, which is a fucking awesome reveal. As she goes to clear the fog on the window, the shape pops up from behind the back seat and grabs her and begins to strangle her. Annie fights desperately, struggling, struggling, and honking the horn as she squeeze as he squeezes her windpipe. Finally, he reaches around with the knife and cuts her throat. Annie's face slides down the window as she leans into the car horn. A um, couple things about this moment yeah so i love how she dies really funny face that she makes oh god she got the funniest like, <laughs> face. <ever. laughs> it's such a it's such <laughs> a stupid <laughs> face to make uh i just love because like i feel like I mean, people now are, are so much like actors are so much better at dying in movies now but like back then people were just like when you die you're like Ugh! Like your eyes, are fucking,
1: you know, it's yeah, just, I mean, I don't know. Tom Savini would say that was probably okay. Cause he said he was always complaining that actors always wanted to look good when they were dying. So they would close their mouths, but he was a, uh, a Tom Savini, the special effects artist and director. Okay. Uh, he was a, a combat photographer in Vietnam. And he said that like, you know, Hey, corpses, like the mouth always goes slack. Sure. Yeah. I believe that but uh i didn't believe her <laughs> No, she looks ridiculous she no it's just too silly like yeah it's like
0: it's a it's a comedy face
1: yeah it really you is know? And then it just like slides down the right and also
0: she, she stays on the horn which i mean i know that he's not about discretion you know but i'm like god damn dude like you just let her lay on that fucking horn You know, just being like, hey, come see what I did, you know? So, cut to Tommy and Lindsay watching another scary movie. Tommy hides behind the drape to scare Lindsay. When he turns to the window and sees the shape carrying Annie's body uh, around Lindsay's front porch, and into the house. Another thing I love, he's just like front porch in the light. I'm carrying this dead body. I don't give a fuck. This spooks him and he, and he backs up into Lindsay who screams. Tommy freaks out and begins to yell that the boogeyman is outside. Lori rushes in and tells Tommy to stop because he's, he's, he's scaring Lindsay. Tommy says that that nobody believes him. Uh, Lindsay says that she does to Lori's exasperation. Yeah, she's
1: uh, so annoyed at these kids. These scared kids. Which, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know. She's basically I mean, gaslighting herself at this point because she's been seeing the boogeyman all day yes yes she's like oh no, no it's fine just <laughs> yeah no she's like just totally weird like weird guy has been watching me
0: <laughs> yeah she i mean she's i mean she clearly she could just be like oh you guys might be seeing the same guy that i'm seeing and that's what you think is the boogeyman she didn't really put two and two together uh but cut to the myers house dr loomis is waiting in the bushes as uh some uh, the kids who bullied Tommy show up and the, they're daring each other to go inside. But as one of them, Lonnie approaches from the bushes is a spooky voice that Dr. Loomis makes. He says, hey, Lonnie, get your ass away from there. And the kids take off running terrified. Um, he looks pretty pleased with his little joke as the sheriff sneaks up behind him and it startles him. And he's like, yeah, uh, and I like that this was a jump scare without like any added sound effects. You know, mm-hmm. I always appreciate that when it's just like a guy like putting a hand on a shoulder and the guy's like, eh, you know, you um, know, so the sheriff says that there, it's I feel like it's just such a good switcheroo on
1: him. <laughs> he's like, yeah. scared these kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, rules. Uh, the sheriff says that there's nothing going on besides typical Halloween stuff. Loomis says he watched him for 15 years staring at the wall with inhuman patience waiting for this night. Death has come to your little death has come to your little town sheriff. The sheriff isn't convinced, uh, but he's he'll uh, he'll stay for the night on the chance that Loomis is right. Cut to a van pulling up to Tommy's house. It's Linda and her boyfriend, Bob, drinking beer and planning on how to distract the kids so they can sneak upstairs and have sex. Joe, I got something to ask you here. Yeah. So why does this guy say, because he's like, oh, so we'll go upstairs. We'll rip my clothes off. We'll rip your clothes off. But at one point he says, we'll rip Lindsay's
1: clothes off. Yeah. What yeah. is that? As the creepiest possible joke you could make. She's like a, a, an eight year old girl, Max yeah yeah uh you know kind of coincidentally i was watching the uh the last drive-in episode uh of this where they did this movie mm-hmm. uh which is where a lot of my nose came from just full disclosure sure uh, yeah he he points out the same thing <laughs> super <laughs> he's super like, weird like fucking good, thing to it. say did nobody say, like, hey, can we, you know, leave uh, this joke about sexually assaulting an eight-year-old girl <laughs> out of the script? Do we really need that? Like,
0: Yeah, it's a
1: bizarre thing. I mean,
0: it's like, I understand, like, making characters who are going to definitely die unlikable, but, like, this is
1: taking it a bit far here. Yeah, even <laughs> for a movie where they kill the dog. like, <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. So Bob carries a giggling uh, Linda inside of the house and they notice that the house is totally dark and Annie isn't there. They start making out anyway. The shape watches them from the other room as they make out. Uh, Cut to Lori and the kids howling and making ghost sounds. Uh, She looks out the window and sees Bob's van parked outside and they sit down to finish the movie. Linda calls from Lindsay's house asking about Annie. Lori asks her to have Annie call when she gets back. Linda tells Bob that uh, Lindsay's gone for the night and they head upstairs to Bone. Uh, Lori is looking outside, but the streets are quiet. Upstairs at Lindsay's house uh bob and linda are in bed fooling around when they're interrupted by a ringing phone so they don't answer the phone right and they take it off the hook and proceed to get down to business as the the shadow of the shape passes uh to an open window a uh, little note here you gotta love sex in the 70s because they just fuck like nobody fucks oh yeah they're just under the covers just rubbing against each other and they're ah hmm, uh, you know that's just the best it's just so fun. Yeah. And it's over again so quickly. So fucking quickly. I mean, it's it, he comes instantaneously and also just weirdly and quietly. And then he rolls over and she's like, that was amazing. That's <laughs> oh
1: fantastic yeah. I feel like what is she what did she say she had to be <laughs> and so um uh, so they and don't answer played the... by uh, pj souls by the way who that? the great pj souls uh she was a you know she's an actor she was in rock and roll high school uh she's like the main girl in that she was in carrie oh right on uh, yeah i like her i liked her in this movie and she's still in stuff like she still turns up especially in a lot of horror movies yeah she rules um also
0: very attractive so bob heads downstairs to get beers saying uh, i'll be right back as linda smokes in bed downstairs say, bob, i'll be right back never say it never ever and he's all he's, all, he's also like don't get dressed because i'm gonna fuck you for 12 seconds uh downstairs bob walks through I'm the dark. that was fast <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> watch yeah. how fast i do it the second
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> uh so downstairs bob walks through the darkened kitchen to the fridge to get beers He hears the back door creak open slowly and he goes to check it out, calling for Annie, Paul, and Linda. He hears breathing and he thinks Linda's playing a joke. He's like, come on out. But before opening the door, uh, before opening the door, when he does, the shape bursts out and grabs him and pushes him against the wall and uh, and with his hand around his throat, lifts Bob up with one hand sliding him up the wall. He takes out his knife and then shoves it through his chest, impaling him a foot above the ground. He dies so fast, by the way, uh which i always love it's like uh if you stab someone it's like it's in the abdomen or like the chest or kind of whatever but like he just it's so funny the idea of someone getting stabbed and then they're just like "Uh,
1: uh." yeah it's like "Uh." (laughs) (laughs) dead
0: (laughs) it's so funny um like he would be able to scream for a good while you know yeah or at least gurgle yeah, gurgle or fucking whatever. Uh, so, so Bob goes limp as the shape stands
1: watching, cocking his head to the side, admiring his work. Just a note on that one. That was the only shot where John Carpenter gave uh, Nick Castle any direction as to what to do. Oh, to cock his head. Yeah, just that, that's like, cool. Look back and forth like that. Like he's, uh, he said he wanted to wanted to look at it like he was admiring like one of those uh, butterfly collections where they, you know, you have like oh. a wooden case with a bunch of impaled butterflies oh interesting things
0: yeah that's a really cool like long shot um so upstairs linda is filing her nails as the door opens and a figure draped in a sheet wearing bob's glasses opens the front door or opens the door uh which i fucking love that i love the sheet with the glasses on because bob is wearing like these big ass 70s shades Yeah, and uh,
1: serial killer looking glasses.
0: Yeah, kind of like the the Dahmer kind of style almost, Uh, and they're just over his his uh, his head with the sheet on. It's fucking, it's such a cool look. Uh, I'm gonna try that. Uh, She asks, like, where's her beer, thinking uh, it's Bob messing around. She shows him her tits, but gets no reaction. The figure in the sheet just stands there until she gets annoyed and calls Lori. As soon as Lori answers, he grabs Linda from behind and begins to strangle her with the phone cord. Uh...
1: I tried to write these like, let me try to not write this. So it's like a fucking tongue twister. And I don't know how well I did. Uh, No, no, it's (laughs) it's I think that
0: it's fine. It's fine. I think next time I'll just like read through it uh, more closely. Uh, But Laurie hears her grasping and thinks it's uh, Annie messing with her. The shape finishes strangling Linda and picks up the phone. Laurie hangs up. Uh, She calls back, but there's no answer. She heads upstairs to check on the sleeping children back outside uh, the Myers house. Dr. Loomis notices the nurse's stolen car parked down the block and goes to check it out. Uh, Lori heads outside and across the street to check on Annie and Linda. Eerie music begins to play as she crosses the street to the darkened house. Uh, She knocks and no one answers. She heads around back and finds the back door open. She goes in and calls for her friends but gets no response. She hears a sound from upstairs calling for her friends uh, to stop messing around and she uh, heads to the second floor. The light is on in one of the bedrooms and inside she finds Annie's body laid out on the bed in front of Judith Meyer's headstone and a jack-o'-lantern on the nightstand terrified she backs into the closet and Bob's upside down body his dead body swings down at her swaying back and forth as she screams ah another door opens to reveal Linda's body and Lori screams and runs out the door I love that Linda's body was or her her
1: eyes were (laughs) cross-eyed yeah (laughs)
0: that was just another funny death face
1: yeah yeah well by the way I remember I watched an interview with Jamie Lee Curtis recently Mm -hmm. uh where she's talking about how before this movie she had never screamed before ever she was just like who screams like no one you don't, you don't right you don't ever scream in your normal day-to-day life and she's like and then she all of a sudden you get cast in those movies having to scream all the time and like,
0: yeah i never thought about that i guess there isn't yeah. many reasons to scream i mean until you get a little older and stuff like happens and you gotta scream
1: <laughs> yeah somebody has <laughs> you know. to murder you with a knife yeah it's pretty pretty it's common by an animal or something
0: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely screamed, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a good point. I mean, she must have lived a pretty, uh, pretty chill ass life up until then.
1: Um, You know, she had, uh, you know, rich Hollywood parents. Oh, okay. I still love her. Daughter of Tony Curtis uh, and Janet Lee from Psycho. Oh, okay. Badass. I had no idea.
0: Um, uh, Nepotism is, uh, it's okay by me in this context. Just because I love her. She got the role. (laughs) Okay great uh, she's in the hall crying leaning against leaning against the wall the shape begins to materialize out of the darkness this is the
1: shot you say this is the shot that made De- uh, Dean Cundy's career yeah he went on to be like a major like a cinematographer worked with like spielberg and like tons of big names yeah i've definitely um, heard his name before on major movies and yeah like the, he worked with carpenter a lot in the first part of his career and like but this was like the shot that people thought were like oh wow this is really cool because he like you you don't see anything and then you just slowly start to see him come out of the the, the darkness
0: it's really fucking cool man um so the shape raises his knife and slashes her arm and she falls down the stairs. He turns to follow her and she limps uh, to the front door, unable to open it. She heads to the kitchen, locking the door behind her. She tries the back door, but it's wedged shut with a rake. The shape begins to break through the kitchen door. Uh, she smashes the glass and moves the rake just in time, uh, running, screaming into the street. And I, I know this is a horror movie, but um, funny that she didn't think to smash the glass like immediately while he was like punching through the door
1: well you know it doesn't always occur to you and I can say that from experience okay you know um when, when I you were getting that, chased by a
0: murdering uh, dude
1: not exactly but I was in a you know a life or death situation uh, so when I was in that car wreck you know my yeah, car yeah, like, yeah. ended up on the side and then like I started to smell smoke and I thought my car was on fire totally uh-huh I was like trying to open the door which was above my head Whoa. So I was standing on like the driver's side door, like trying to open the passenger door, like pushing above my head, but it was wedged shut. Whoa. And then like, it took me a while to think like, oh, I guess I'm gonna have to try to smash this window. And then, uh, and then only after I prepared to do that, it occurred to me that like, I should try the, the button. And then I was able to roll. It was a power window. It just went down. So I was oh, hell yeah! It that way.
0: Yeah. That would be a great scene in a fucking horror movie. You know, yeah, but yeah, so
1: uh, you know, (laughs) also like a nice comedic beat where you're like, Oh, yeah, the fucking, (laughs) yeah, you know, so it it doesn't necessarily, uh, it it really was, it really was like I, one of those situations where I went from like, uh, the deepest depths of despair, like, Oh God, I'm gonna die trapped in a burning car, to like, I'm an idiot, yeah, 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 totally.
0: (laughs) That's a fun moment to realize that,
1: yeah, um,
0: yeah, I forgot about that, fucking, I mean, I didn't forget about it, but, um, you know, yeah. Crazy thing. that That's something you you think about all the time. Yeah. So none of the neighbors will answer the door. Right. So she's like running up and she's screaming on the front porch for like bloody murder. She's like, please help me. I need help, help. And people like open their blinds and look at her and they're like, "Mm, no, thanks. Which I think is fucking insane. It's like a nice suburban neighborhood. And she's a totally normal looking, like good
1: looking young lady. Yeah. And, um, it is Halloween, though, so maybe they think she's, like, playing a prank. That's true. Like, uh, we've been opening the door all night. We're done opening the door.
0: Yeah, no more candy, candy, bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so none of the neighbors will answer their door uh, to help this screaming woman. So uh, so she runs over to the Doyle's house. She can't find the keys, right, uh, to the Doyle's house. The shape approaches uh, from across the street as she screams for Tommy to open the door and Tommy like is in the top uh, he's in the uh, the. he's upstairs and he sees out and he's like okay and he comes downstairs uh, she he finally lets her in she locks the door and screams for him to head upstairs the phone is dead she realizes that uh, the window was open and she ducks in front of the couch grabbing a large needle yeah like a knitting needle yeah like one of those big ass like foot long knitting needles uh, I don't know my computer is like starting to like make noises uh, the shape pops up from behind the couch, stabbing for her, but misses. She sticks the needle into his neck and he goes down. We hear a, a thump and Lori peeks over the couch. He appears to be dead and she drops the knife, which fucking a, I mean, I know you think that you just killed this guy and I know it's a fu- but keep the
1: knife. Make sure. You know, just but, hold on to the knife for fuck's sake but you know you know it's like uh you know maybe psychologically she doesn't want to you know hold on to that knife that's been used to murder her friends
0: yeah well, give it to one of the kids or something so outside dr loomis is looking around when the sheriff pulls up he says uh he found the car and that he's here and they split up to check out the houses Lori runs upstairs to get the kids um And as as she uh, tries to talk to them, the shape appears behind her. The kids scream and she locks them in the bedroom, heading into another room and hiding in the closet. Uh, She ties the door with a belt. Uh, but the shape follows her inside it begins it's a bang at the closet door and I do love how much he's struggling uh to open this closet
1: door you know I know that there's a belt tied around it but like uh, and this is one of those uh like a flimsy like slatted closets like they had in like uh high tension yes exactly he just
0: punched through like a, a regular door earlier you know <laughs> yeah. and it's taken him like a good 30 to 45 seconds you could really just like elbow it a little bit and crack those yeah. things Lori cowers in fear as the shape breaks through and pulls on the light she unties a wire hanger and when he when he leans in she sticks him in the eye and he recoils and drops the knife Lori grabs the knife and then gets it and then stabs him in the gut he grabs his abdomen and falls down she exits the closet as the shape lies motionless on the floor surely she lim- he's dead this time surely he's dead this time uh so why not drop the knife
1: again you you more. i mean at this point you're you're dumb Oh, yeah. This is like one of those ones where like if you, you know, you saw a theater, like audiences would be screaming. (laughs) Yeah. She
0: drops the knife like right next to him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So she limps into the hallway and to, uh, to get the kids, tells them to go to the neighbor's house and call the police. Exhausted. She sits with her back to the room. Behind her, we see the shape silently sit up and turn to look towards her. The kids run screaming outside, alerting Dr. Loomis. He's like, what the hell's going on in there? Such a the good, shape, scary
1: moment of just a guy sitting up and turning his head.
0: Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, very like seamless sitting up and turning and cocking his head to the
1: strong abs. He doesn't even Strong, use he, hands. totally
0: great core. The shape stands up, creeping up behind Lori and grabbing her. Loomis runs up the stairs. Uh, the shape begins to strangle Lori. As she struggles, she manages to pull off his face mask. And we get a glimpse of his face uh, and his, his damaged eye before he pulls the mask back on. Loomis aims and fires his gun. Uh, The shape stumbles backwards into the room and Loomis follows him in and fires another five shots. He stumbles out the door uh, onto the balcony and over the side and falls onto the lawn. We see a shot of the shape's body lying motionless on the ground as Loomis's empty gun clicks. Lori turns to Loomis and says, it was the boogeyman. Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. He goes to check on the shape, but his body is nowhere to be found. The score begins to play as Laurie sobs and Loomis looks on into the dark. We see shots of the dark house and the neighborhood as heavy breathing continues and the credits begin to roll. Uh, So the movie's over now, Joe. But uh, one more thing I wanted to add is that in one of these one of these uh, shots, we do see uh, on the living room floor shot uh, the knife.
1: Maybe he had two knives. Maybe he had two knives. They they did say he stole some knives plural from the hardware store. You're giving him a lot of credit here, Joe.
0: And I appreciate that. But I do think it was an error in continuity. <laughs> <been>. uh, <laughs> that's funny. The idea of he's just like carrying these like massive knives around in his pocket. You know, uh, he's got like five of them. Anyways, great movie. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Just a fantastic
1: film. It really is like, uh, you know, they weren't trying to make the most influential like in, like movie. of that era right you know they just uh basically uh mustafa akad and erwin yablon's uh they saw uh assault on precinct 13 at the milan film festival which was uh john carpenter's previous movie okay it's kind of like an action movie about like you know these gangs attacking uh a police station that's like uh almost empty pretty fun one i highly recommend it Uh, yeah totally But they made like a little bit of a profit for that so they wanted to hire they wanted to do a horror movie about a guy stalking babysitters and they hired john carpenter to do it and he said you know he would write and direct and do the score uh, as long as they gave him pretty much full creative control and they did more or less that rules that rules man yeah so he and his girlfriend deborah hill like wrote it she produced uh he got paid 10 grand to to write direct and score the movie but was given uh 10% of the profits so he he did all right. Yeah, that's great. Um, when the movie was a hit.
0: Fuck yeah, dude. 10% of what? 70 million?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Damn. That yeah. rules. I can't yeah, do that. But, the but figures that's all I mean, right from 40 to 70 million, but it's, Is that
0: you know, so wait, 10% of 70 million that's 7 million? $7 million. That's sick. In 1978, that's not bad yeah i'm a little embarrassed that i said i can't do the math <laughs> it's just like wait yeah i can <laughs> yeah yeah
1: just think about it for a second <laughs> yeah you got it dude yeah man i i've like i've watched this i saw this movie for the first time when i was in high school i think i had seen some of the sequels at a really young age like you know mm-hmm. when i was like nine or ten years old or something i think i saw like halloween six or maybe right halloween right four and the other ones would be like on tbs and stuff yeah
0: i think uh, i i mean i've definitely seen a halloween movie. maybe i have i don't know I've, I've i don't know what i've seen of this they were on to cable be honest. a whole lot you know like i mean i've but i've it's it's just crazy i watched this movie and i was like how have i not seen it mm-hmm. i it just feels i mean i've seen like you know i i saw like the Freddy versus Jason movies I feel like I just saw the movies that were out in theaters the time at the time, at the time yeah you know so um maybe you saw Halloween Resurrection
1: or something maybe but I don't even know if I did man I like Well, it's been like referenced so much and influenced so many movies that it's like one of those things where like even if you haven't seen Star Wars you kind of feel like you've seen it mm-hmm Cause like so many of the scenes get recreated and stuff and yeah, totally.
0: Well, and I think I, I, it's hard sometimes like slasher movies, like, you know, teen slasher movies will get kind of like blurred
1: together in your head, like in your memory. Cause I feel like I've seen scream. Oh, and so if you've seen scream, they have a lot of like, they're watching this movie in the final party scene in scream and talking about it. Oh, right on. So you're like you're literally watching like Michael Myers like sneaking up on Jamie Lee Curtis as like Ghostface is sneaking up on Randy in Scream. Oh, like, right on. He's like watching it happen while it's happening to him, which is kind of like it's a similar thing going on in this movie where like they're watching scary movies on Halloween and they're also yeah. in a scary movie on Halloween. Yeah. You know? Yeah,
0: dude, it was great. I mean, I fucking it's just it's like when you, when you're watching a good movie like a movie that you know has just been like celebrated and like beloved for so long it's a great experience to just like finally be watching it you know you're just like oh man it just feels right like you're like this absolutely it makes total sense that this is like a masterpiece of a Mm -hmm.
1: of a film that's awesome man I'm glad you know like I think that's a thing that'll be fun about this is because like you know there's a handful of those movies that like you know that are like really like considered the all-time classics of the genre yeah and i think you've probably watched a bunch of them but probably i'm sure there's still a few that you haven't
0: oh no for sure i mean i haven't seen that many
1: horror movies you know yeah this is one that a lot of casual like horror fan like people who don't watch a lot of horror movies often have seen this one but not always. right
0: well yeah because it was such a huge hit too i mean it was just like you know it's it's one of those things of like uh oh this is this is the kind of thing you you go out you know with your your date you know and you you see a scary movie and you, you get you get scared with everybody in the theater like that's like the kind of experience you want
1: yeah i've seen this in so many times i saw it at the million dollar theater downtown that was really cool i would love uh, to see it uh, in theaters well yeah let's uh let's get into some of these other notes that i have here hopefully this Great. stuff is all interesting so uh taking inspiration from hitchcock's psycho uh, which coincidentally starred Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, Janet Lee, uh, Bob Clark's Black Christmas from 1974, and Toby Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, as well as various Italian giallo films. Uh, Halloween is credited being the prototype that lost uh, that launched the slasher boom of the 1980s, and was also greatly on the meta horror films like Scream in the 90s and beyond. Ooh, uh, it wasn't the first slasher. It wasn't really the first movie to do almost anything that's in it but it was uh by far the most widely emulated well i was just going to say like what was the first slasher was it uh psycho or maybe peeping tom uh like i think it was like a a 50s kind of slashery movie psycho was a very early one
0: yeah right on Yeah.
1: yeah um cool yeah yeah but a bunch of people emulated a lot of stuff
0: i i sometimes i wish i new i don't know it's cool to know sometimes it's cool to know that stuff like when you're watching the movie but i also like i don't know there's like a mixture of 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 feelings where i'm like i want to i just want to watch the movie as the movie just as like a person seeing it for the first time but there's also part of me that's like oh i wish i knew like exactly what stuff was being like emulated you know Mm -hmm. Uh, like in later films and i know you told me like a, a little bit of those things but
1: yeah. Yeah. As we watch more of these movies, you'll start to see the influence yeah. and you'll start to see it like, like scream is like kind of a lot of it is mostly a commentary on Halloween and the slashers that followed it. Nice. Um, so the the film is praised for uh, carpenter's score, uh, for his suspenseful atmospheric direction, as well as the cinematography of Dean Cundy. Uh, and in 2006, it was selected per, for preservation in the United States national film registry in the library of Congress as being culturally historically or aesthetically significant hell yes which i think you know no one's going to dispute that is like no you know it's i mean maybe
0: maybe like roger ebert might, because he fucking disputes everything (laughs) surprisingly (laughs) he
1: actually liked this one yeah he better uh so the film spawned a franchise comprising 13 films uh including a direct sequel uh a bunch of additional sequels to that um the Rob Zombie remake and the sequel to his remake. Uh, And now the 2018 sequel, which is considered a direct sequel to the 1978 original and retcons, all the previous sequels. So there's a 2018 remake of Halloween. It's more of a sequel. It's like, so it's like they made it. So Halloween two is a sequel with Jamie Lee Curtis. Right. Uh, And then there's two or three that she's not in. And then she comes back for Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection. Okay. Then they did the, the, the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, which she is not in. Gotcha. And then the Hall the 2018 Halloween is basically, they said like, we're going to wipe the sw- slate clean. And this is a sequel to the original 1978 movie.
0: Okay. And so she is not, she's,
1: you know, she's back as Laurie she's Strode back in that, that one. one. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's about her. She's like, you know, has like um, PTSD and stuff and like her daughter or daughter and granddaughter are in it. Okay. Um, Yeah. So the basic concept uh, was that uh, Carpenter said there had Halloween night had never been the theme of a film before this. There are a lot of claims that it was originally titled The Babysitter Murders, but Erwin Yablons says that this is not the case, and it was always intended to be called and be set on Halloween. Gotcha. Uh, Much of the plot was inspired by the Celtic traditions of Samhain and the idea that you couldn't kill evil. Halloween was the night where all the souls were left to wreak havoc on the living. They came up with a story about the most evil kid who had ever lived and a town with a dark secret, and now that evil has come back. Hmm. Pretty much sums it up. Yeah, uh, Deborah Hill, uh, who worked as a babysitter as a teenager, mo- mo- uh most of the girls' dialogue. Oh, right on yeah, so that kind of like uh, sort of cheesy seventies dialogue. It was all written based on actual teenage girls. So, yeah, I mean, sure, ba- based
0: on actual teenage girls, but yeah, she that was my. A... It was one of my gripes with the movie was you know it, the dialogue, but it's very seventies, but it's also just like that. That's like one of the only things that I was just like. Yeah, I mean, the, it's, a lot of people don't talk like like this.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely feels like movie dialogue. It doesn't For feel sure. realistic. right? Um, Carpenter wrote most of Loomis' speeches about the evil of Michael Myers. Uh, and Haddonfield is named after the town where Deborah Hill grew up in New Jersey. Uh, most of the characters in the movie are named after either real people like Ben Schramer or characters from Alfred Hitchcock and Howard Hawks movies. Mm, cool. Um yeah, so, like, Laurie Strode was supposedly the name of one of Carpenter's, like, high school girlfriends or something.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. You know,
1: so, it's all... There's a bunch of them. We don't have to go Yeah, I like all. that he does that. I think it's cool. Uh, Donald Pleasance was, had the highest salary, making 25000 for the role that was turned down by both Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Uh, and Christopher Lee said it, he, that was the biggest mistake he ever made in his entire career. Um, who, you know, he went on to play... Was he Gandalf in Lord of the Rings? I think he was. What was his name again? Christopher Lee. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was all he was in a bunch of the Hammer movies. I think as like yeah, Doctor yeah, Van Helsing, yeah. and then I think he was Gandalf. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also sang like a, he also was a, a power metal vocalist.
0: He wait, Christopher Lee was a power metal
1: vocalist. Yeah, he sang like he sang in like a power metal band like into his 90s, like. Whoa. No 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 hold on. No. Gandalf
0: was Ian Ian McKellen.
1: Oh okay. Was he the other one then? Yes, he was the bad wizard. But he, he was the evil wizard in Lord of the Rings. You, you yeah, that's guys all we know. need to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh the shape Slash Michael Myers was played by Nick Castle for most of the scenes, but there are also four other actors who played him in various shots for stunts uh, or what just, yeah, for stunts or just for, you know, like whoever was around, they just put like the mask on. Sure. Um, but the, uh, the final scene where uh, his mask pulls off, he was played by Tony Moran, who was uh, credited for the role. Wow. Uh, Nick Castle went on to direct his own films, including The Last Starfighter, Dennis the Menace, and Major Pain. Uh, No way, dude. Yeah. (laughs) So this
0: is the guy who played most of the Michael Myers scenes. Yeah, he he was he was uh
1: yeah, he was Michael Myers or the shape in most of the scenes.
0: What a strange what a strange thing. Right. Like to to be to play this this entire this character in, in pretty much this entire movie and then the three fucking seconds where the guy is unmasked it goes to him as the, yeah it's just a, it was, it's yeah weird. it was the
1: older brother of joni from happy days odd but cool but yeah n- whatever <laughs>
0: uh but yeah that's like uh that's that's fun but yeah major pain i mean what a what an i mean what a fucking <laughs> that movie dude i haven't seen that movie in forever
1: uh it was real funny when i was like you know eight years old I don't know yeah. if it holds up that well
0: oh I doubt it but yeah I used to watch yeah, that movie Bam Bam Bigelow's
1: in that movie though oh the wrestler yeah oh my god that's so fun yeah he, forgot uh, about he, that. he like
0: rescued some kids
1: from a burning building or something
0: oh that's awesome
1: yeah died that's young, so great tragically yeah he, he, oh, he did yeah how I forget oh, okay. I think he might have like possibly OD'd on painkillers or something right. I could be totally wrong you know don't <laughs> Nice. Uh, <laughs> but he died young, but apparently he was a great guy and he saved some kids, so good for Yeah, him. I mean, yeah, that's like pretty much as good as you can get. Mhm. Uh so due to the film's low budget, uh the cast often wore their own clothes. Uh Jamie Lee Curtis's wardrobe was purchased from JC Penney's for around $100. Wow. Nice. Michael's mask uh was made from a uh it was a William Shatner Captain Kirk mask that they bought on Hollywood Boulevard for $2. And they like uh, painted it white and widened the eyes, but yeah. yeah, it was just a Captain Kirk Halloween mask. Yeah,
0: I remember. I've heard of this, um, and it's just it's one of the it's one of the best facts of the movie. I think, mm-hmm. but yeah, that rules.
1: Yeah, I mean, it makes it believable. It's just a cheap Halloween mask, you know? Totally. Uh, a lot of the cast had to uh, help move equipment and cameras and set up shots because they, you know, they didn't have a full. Like, uh, you know, Tommy Lee Wallace, he was like the production designer, art director, and location scout, just like, wow. you know, Carpenter was like the writer, director, and composer. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the early films to use the Panaglide, which is a. Uh, a Steadicam, like the cameras they use, it was like a big, heavy 35 millimeter camera. He was walking around with. It's yeah. kind of impressive how you know how smooth those shots look. Dude,
0: cinematographers rule.
1: Like a yeah. good cinematographer,
0: I think is like one of the coolest types of people ever. I think they're fucking awesome. I mean, they're artists, you know. Oh yeah, they're brilliant. I just love it. Like the guy that um does all the uh, like the Cohen Brothers stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, but that guy. F- fucking rules man he did uh oh, yeah. 1917 also uh
1: which is like oh, that okay. that's cool the Cohen brothers were actually uh proteges of sam raimi who made the evil dead movies i still got to see the evil dead movies we got to do an evil dead movie oh yeah we will we will we can, you know okay. i, I, I want to space out the classics we can't do them all right at the beginning yeah you know? yeah for sure yeah I'm, I'm cool um with that. To uh, create the desired level of terror and suspense, Carpenter created a fear meter for the actors to use as a guide to determine how terrified they'd be in a certain scene because hmm. it was shot out of sequence. So he was like, you know, they're always like, he was always saying like, okay, and this, you know, in this one you're a six or a seven. this one you're a nine and a half. Right, she, right. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had different facial expressions and screams for each level on the meter. Great. Good for her. I think she does a good job. She's like, she and Donald Pleasence are the standout actors in this movie yeah i agree i mean i i just love her i've
0: i've always loved her i've just anything she does i'm just uh i'm just enamored by her i i adore her
1: <laughs> yeah she's pretty great well you know she's she's done a lot of horror movies so when we come back to her you know she's in the fog yeah. obviously yeah yeah uh, no i, I just she's night.
0: like she's like so my type I just like i don't i don't know what but I'm just like so into that. I just love her.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I get that. She's pretty yeah. hot. You know, she's got a great body. You can really <laughs> you get to see great it body. in trading, trading places. Trading places. You get to see it in True Lies. I mean, Whew. she rules. Uh, so the film's score was written by John Carpenter in days. Uh, instead of a typical symphonic score, he composed it using a synthesizer and a melody played in a 10-8 time signature. Yeah. Uh, the music was inspired by Dario Argento's Suspiria which also influenced the film's slightly surreal color scheme, uh, and the tubular bells theme from the exorcist. Yeah, dude, that fucking rules. I love that. It's like one of those, like, uh,
0: it had to be like such an aha moment for him. You know, I mean, like it, it, when you listen to it, it's such a simple score. Like it makes sense that it was written in three days, but also like all unique. Cause he just, it, you can just tell, he just heard it in his head that he's like, this is, that's it. That's it. He just,
1: I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah it's great. so eerie and creepy and uh, a really fun thing that you can do uh, i highly recommend this to anybody is uh if you're bored you just drive around a neighborhood at night and put that score on <laughs> in the car <laughs> as you're driving you feel yeah. so you'll never feel creepier as if yeah, you're just dude. driving around listening to that music in, in a yeah, suburban neighborhood as far as critical reception goes uh, upon its release halloween was largely ignored by critics and they originally thought like it was only going to play at drive-ins and stuff, but it ended up premiering at like multiplexes and was a big hit. Right. Um, but the critics who did review it had kind of mixed feelings. Uh, Pauline Hale of the New Yorker wrote that uh, Carpenter doesn't seem to have had any life outside the movies. One can trace almost every idea on the screen to directors such as Hitchcock, Brian Palma, and to the Val Luton productions who I don't know who that is. Mm -hmm. Uh, and she said maybe uh maybe when a horror film is stripped of everything but dumb scariness when it isn't a shame to revive the stalest device of the genre the escaped lunatic it satisfies part of the audience in a more basic childish way than sophisticated horror pictures do uh my response to that is you know fuck her yeah
0: what the fuck
1: i i feel like uh you know it's got similarities to hitchcock i don't know which brian de palma film You know, she's well, I don't know, Carrie. I don't know. I don't know really Brian De
0: Palma stuff, but uh, they just say stuff to get a uh, like attention or just say things to say them. Yeah. The movie's good. Shut up. You know, it's like people are uh, influenced by, you know, other people. And if you see signs like, I don't know, it doesn't have to be like something that was lifted,
1: you know? No, you know, it's like, I don't know. I don't don't like this. Like there's this uh, thing that gets talked about a lot lately. Like uh, they talk about like elevated horror movies mm-hmm. like uh talking about like you know the babadook and get out and i think that's just like the biggest crock of shit ever uh and right. i think it, it's a lot the people who say that usually uh, just have not seen a lot of horror movies so
0: so so hold on the ed- elevated horror movies what, what, what does this mean they're uh
1: you know supposed to be horror movies that are uh you know have more substance and depth oh no than, fuck that uh yeah no no <laughs> I mean, I'm sure,
0: whatever, if you make a good movie, it's uh, that's that that's awesome. But I mean, I think that's kind of part of what I didn't like about Smile was that it was kind of trying to do something like that, where it was like this, like the subtext was kind of like uh, it was all about trauma and stuff and like confronting your trauma. And, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, sure.
1: Great. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? Bullshit. Yeah. And I think horror has always been elevated. I think you watch like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or The Shining or. Yeah. yeah so many movies like night of the living dead there's a whole lot going on in that movie you know right But it's not elevated you know no
0: no it's like it's what good art is and i like when you can look at something and make up your own meaning and you know and that's what i liked about uh night of the living dead was like you know a lot of people were saying like the upstairs is the north and the downstairs is the south and it's like Sure. Go ahead. If that's what you want to do, then that's fine.
1: It doesn't. Yeah. It's like, you can see it that way. They probably didn't think of that when they were writing the script, you know? No, no. But that's, Uh, I think that's what happens with good art. mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, people tend to overanalyze, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Roger Ebert, on the other hand, praised the film, calling it a visceral experience. We aren't seeing them. We aren't seeing the movie. We're having it happen to us. It's frightening. Maybe you don't like movies that are really scary. Then don't see this one. Uh, he selected it as one of his top movies of 1978. That's cool. I don't know if I agree with the we're not watching this happen. It's happening to
0: us. I, I it's a that's like a poetic line, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, no, I don't know. I felt like I was watching it happen to these people. I I didn't feel like I was,
1: you know, maybe yeah.
0: some moments, but really I think
1: he was talking mostly about like the that first like POV mm-hmm. shot. Totally, you know. Yeah, because uh, he talked a lot about like seeing through the eyes of the killer and all this stuff. And, I think uh,
0: he's just said enough stuff to uh, upset me that I just don't want to give him
1: uh, credit. Any credit? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I feel that too. You know, yeah. it was like, oh, you like this one, huh? This is yeah. your one. He also liked it because it's not like if you notice, it's not very bloody or gory. Yeah, for most sure. of the kills are like basically. There might be a little tiny trickle of blood, but it, there's not yeah. a lot for a movie. There was like maybe a- stabbed.
0: Yeah, there's maybe like a like a I don't know a half a pint to a pint of blood used through this, the the entire movie.
1: Yeah, Very it's little. like you know when the first like when he stabs Judith upstairs, like there's some blood on her, but it's just kind of like mm-hmm. like smeared randomly on her. Yeah, yeah, and then like you know when when uh, Annie dies, there's almost no blood. You know, mm-hmm. Linda gets strangled, so there's no blood there. Right. Uh, okay, so there's some stuff on the themes and analysis. So there's been debate among feminist scholars about what Halloween and the subsequent slasher genre that it spawned are ultimately misogynist or feminist in their portrayal of women. Critics of these movies claim that the kills in the slasher genre are psychosexual in nature and that the women in the film are being killed as punishment for having premarital sex or for other perceived transgressions. Okay. And that's the thing they brought up in Scream too.
0: Who Who's saying this?
1: Uh, There's a lot of like uh, feminists who talked about these movies, especially in the 70s and 80s. Right. Yeah. Uh, Feminists and other critics were like, you know, these movies, you know, they hate women. They're all about women getting killed, you know, and, you know, women who have sex are murdered and only the virgins are allowed to live and stuff. And it's like,
0: eh. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, I think that you could, I don't know. I mean, I. I don't know. It's, it's just funny to create a backstory for a character that doesn't exist. Like it it, it wasn't written
1: that way. Well, that's the thing. And John Carpenter, you know, he, he doesn't agree with this at all. Uh, sure. You know, but yeah, they think, uh, some went as far as claiming that the violence against women in these films is as debasing as their depictions in hardcore pornography, which there's a, you know, is pornography debasing the women probably sometimes, maybe not always. Yeah. I don't know. know. (laughs) Some probably find it empowering, but, um, you know, I think, like, they kind of, like, these critics, like, sort of misinterpret what horror movies are. And I think the thing they have them with where they they start talking about torture porn movies. Sure. Because it's, like, it's a horror movie. You're not, mm-hmm. like, you're not, you're not enjoy like, you know. I mean, some of the ones that are, like, less serious, like, you enjoy watching people get killed because they're, like, dickhead characters, like, in Cabin Fever. But for <laughs> the most part, like, it's horrifying watching, like, women and other people get murdered, you know and they're they're getting murdered by the villains this is it's, uh, like the movies aren't saying like oh it's good that he's killing all these people yeah and they deserve it you know like i don't know man there's just a lot
0: of serial killers that kill women and they have their own reasons for doing it you know and yeah, some um, that kill men too yeah and there's some that kill men but it's just like he killed a lot of women in this movie but he killed uh, two men he killed two men right yeah he killed bob he killed the mechanic he killed the mechanic he killed bob and it's like uh i just think that they extrapolate meaning where
1: they want to and to support their arguments you know yeah it's just like they just don't like these movies so they're gonna come up there with a reason to justify why they're bad and no one should watch them
0: yeah it's like which also i don't know man ted bundy goes and murders a bunch of women and like that's a, a horrifying thing but it's just like hey man that's just a thing that exists in the world you know so it's like if there's a the thing, if there's a movie about it Oh, 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 so what
1: you know there were serial killers way before and you know people who murdered women and just committed acts of violence for the entirety of human history before movies were even invented right you know so even if it is a movie about a
0: guy murdering just women it's like well why does that make it a a movie that should be like uh, shunned, you know, it's like,
1: yeah. And a lot of like serial killer movies like uh, psycho and Texas chainsaw massacre were inspired by real life serial killers like Ed Gein, right. Where he dug up women's bodies and, you know, murdered a few of them and then made lampshades and stuff out of their skin. Yeah. So like Toby Hooper didn't invent that, you know, the, right. <laughs> the world and society created this. Right. You know, the movies just help you kind of deal with that. The fact that this type of stuff exists. Carpenter, you know, he felt that he was just like when they said like, oh, you know, if you if you have sex, you die. If you do drugs, you die. And he's like, well, no, I was just trying to write normal teenagers doing what normal teenagers do. And I think, yeah, it, like that's that's what it is. And it would be weird if they weren't fucking or drinking or smoking pot. It yeah. Would be weird. And the thing is, like, Lori, Lori, she
0: smokes weed and she doesn't die, you know? Right. Well, and if it were like a bunch of like straight edge kids you know, or like Christian, you know, devout Christian then it would be another group attacking and saying that, Oh, this is an anti-religion or like anti like straight edge.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I fully agree. Um, so other feminist scholars claim that the role of the final girl in slasher films, which, uh, you know, Lori Strode wasn't the first one, you know, um, but she was like the prototypical one. Um, they claim that the final girl role turned women into heroines, who fight and ultimately triumph in the end where previously the genre had generally portrayed women as helpless victims.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, other critics see films like Halloween as a critique of American social values and the dangers of suburbia. Uh, these cr- critics consider uh, Halloween to be critical of uh, white flight into gated communities and the attempt by parents to shield their, ch- their children from the dangerous influences of the city. Sure, I think that could be, you know, subconsciously might be part of it. Yeah.
0: I, yeah, you know? I think so. I mean, I think it's yeah,
1: I, I agree with that. Cause that was a real thing where like, you know, white people, they, you know, they started to move out of the cities cause there were too many, you know, different, yep. uh, people moving in different, uh, you know, cultural backgrounds and stuff for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then turns out the suburbs can be really fucked up too. Hell yeah, they can. Uh, So let's see. I got some notes here and uh, some stuff from the last drive in that's just fun. Uh, So Dean Cundy copied the color scheme from Chinatown uh, using orange tints for the daytime shots and blue backlighting for the night shots. Um,. The, uh, successful horror films that preceded Halloween tended to be independent films made far outside of the Hollywood studio system, like Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But part of Halloween's success was due to it. The polished look of it. Um, even though it was a pen independent, it was essentially a Hollywood movie. You know, Carpenter was like a USC film student, which was like the film school in the country at the time. Um, Dean Cundy was a Hollywood cinematographer. Uh, so many of the ho- other horror films at the time were shot on grainy 16 millimeter and only played in seedy grindhouses and drive ins that respectable filmgoers tended to avoid uh, or were too scared to go into. Um, That's great. Donald Pleasance, uh, he contributed some stuff to the story. He is the one who insisted that there could be no sympathy and no backstory for Michael Myers other than that he was unrepentant and unreachable. Uh, he was pure evil. He also wanted no backstory for Dr. Loomis going so far as to request a scene where he called his wife uh, be taken out of the movie. He wanted Loomis to be so single minded that he had no family, no family ties uh, or purpose other than stopping Michael Myers. So he wanted like Loomis's obsession to match almost Michael's determination to kill people.
0: I think that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think having a backstory with
0: family can humanize somebody a little more, but also in this context, I don't know, it just it seemed to work out pretty well. You're just kind of like, yeah, this is just a, a, a doctor who's obsessed with this case. You know, he's his only backstory is that he. Yeah. knows this this kid
1: yeah well and supposedly he's been his doctor since he was 15 or you know since he was six years old so he just watched him right. you know be this manifested manifestation of evil for 15 years he created the prototype for what uh, uh okay. serial killer movie where they talk about the ahab which is based on dr loomis which is like he's basically like you know uh captain ahab and the killer is his moby dick
0: oh right on okay
1: yeah Um, that's pretty cool the last thing i have here is that uh kyle richards who played Lindsay, a little girl that annie's babysitting who went and who went on to be on the real housewives of beverly hills uh she was real young and she wasn't familiar with horror movies at the time and she was so frightened at the film's premiere that she claims to have slept in her mom's bed until she was 15 years old damn yeah
0: i have i mean i've only had like a I mean as a younger kid i got pretty spooked by some movies but the thing that made me i remember when i was like when did the ring come out uh
1: early 2000s
0: yeah early 2000s so i was probably yeah i was probably like i don't know 11 or 12 i think when that but i saw it in theaters and there was that scene it was like that woman whose like daughter died or like sister died and she's like she she was the first girl who dies in the movie and she's like, I saw her face and they flash to the door opening and her face is all fucked up and her like head tilts to the side. I was like that. Fucked me up as a kid. Oh yeah. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think I slept in my parents' room mm-hmm. after I saw that.
1: Yeah. I think I saw nightmare on Elm street on TV or something as a kid. And that one really fucked me up. Yeah. It's still a scary movie. Like, you watch it now and it's still scary. Still haven't seen it. That's, that's another one that will put that is like uh Another classic that, uh, you know, I don't want to burn through it too early. Totally. Uh, but that's all my notes. You know, a lot has been said about this movie. We're not probably bringing much new to the table, but you know, hopefully, uh, some of our listeners haven't seen it yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people who haven't seen it yet, but, um, no, highly recommend it. And, uh, you know, you can watch it on like Amazon and stuff, uh, right. It's not streaming anywhere. Right,
1: it should be. It's on. Yeah, where did I watch it? I have it on. I have a DVD copy, but I think I watched it on. I don't know. It was on some streaming service. It's always on one of them. Yeah. Well, I bought it. or rented it. Um, but it was great. And um,
0: yeah, man, thanks for showing me this one, Joe.
1: <laughs> thanks for watching it, man. This was a fun one. Uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. people enjoy this episode. Oh, and uh, for our next episode so we're doing all halloween related movies i thought we could do uh, tales of halloween okay i'm down we're gonna do our, our get into our first anthologies of this halloween season
0: sick all right well i'm down i'm excited yeah. uh thank you everybody for listening to the only horror movie podcast and we will see you uh next week yeah thanks guys see you later india yeah later <laughs>